This is all theater. This is all just political theater. Political theater. Political theater. Pure political theater. Theater. Political theater. The nefarious, significant, and protracted political, political, political theater for political theater's sake. I yield back. From Washington, this is Political Theater. Roll Call's review of the spectacle of politics on Capitol Hill and across the country. I'm Jason Dick. Congress is in its pre-election recess lull. The president is signing a bunch of bills people can't remember. But the Supreme Court is running at full speed. Its last term is defined perhaps by the overturning of Roe v. Wade and the nationwide right to an abortion. But the current term will also likely continue redefining Americans' participation in state and federal government and its elections. Since the court convened on the first Monday of October, it has already heard some highly significant cases, and they will continue to do so. With us to discuss all this is Todd Ruger, CQ Roll Call's legal affairs editor. Todd, welcome back to Political Theater. Thanks. Great to be here, Jason. Appreciate it. So, uh, again, you knew that this was coming, I I must ask. Before the term uh, convened, did you... Uh, did you watch first Monday with uh, Walter Matthau uh, and and uh, that 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 gem of of cinema about the Supreme Court? I I uh, I had plans to, but I did not end up doing it. Um, it's still October though, so I can watch it sometime this month and feel like the tradition has is alive. Uh, I did watch the uh, trailer for it, so I guess that kind of counts. But yeah, I mean, I mean uh, people can uh, speak uh, very you know, sort of expansively after watching a trailer, although you have seen first Monday, uh, you know, this is the, the, you know, like the, again, the Walter Matthau, uh, uh, sort of vehicle about the Supreme court. There have just been too few Supreme court movies, I believe. Yeah. And the, 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 the hook in the movie is that, uh, the it's the president is going to name the first woman Supreme court justice and how that affects the, all of the men who are on the Supreme court. And, um, it's kind of interesting now, uh, looking back because we have for the first time, four women on the court now, um, a historic high. So, um, nearly, nearly half, nearly half. It's, it's closer to representing the American public, um, on the court. And I, I feel like also the last term again, there, there were so many you know high profile cases, but of course it will always be known as the you know, the, the Dobbs decision that, that overturned Roe versus Wade. But it was also seemed to be defined by the fact that, you know, Stephen Breyer had announced his retirement, um, you know, about midway through the term. Uh, Joe Biden, the president, announced that he would uh, make his pick early. He, he selected Kachandi Brown-Jackson and that she was confirmed before the term was even done. I mean, and there wasn't a lot of drama associated with that. Uh, the Democrats could confirm her without any Republican votes. And she was just sort of waiting in the wings. And when Breyer retired, you know, boom, she, she gets in, but it didn't change the, the votes on the court necessarily. But uh, it's, you know, that was also one of those things that sort of focused people, you know, that that we were going to have, again, a fourth woman, and also the first black woman uh, on, on the Supreme Court. Uh, Right. And she also has some uh, experience that's not on the court, such as it being a public defender. Uh, she, but I think that's a good way to look at, um, this upcoming term, which is, uh, last term was to the right and we have a new justice, but, uh, there are two different ways the court could go right or farther, right. (laughs) Basically it's just how fast and how far it's going to go. 
Um, the cases that they took up this term, um, th- they don't indicate a court looking for a more moderate term, right? They, it looks like they're going to continue to push to the right. Um, you know, Dobbs, the abortion case last time, but also gun rights last time. And, and now we have a couple of issues such as affirmative action and voting rights cases that, that involve race and um, the use of race in public policy. Uh, one of the one of the experts um, that we quoted in our story previewing this term um, said, there's no reason to think this coming term or any term in the foreseeable future will be any different on things that matter most. Get ready for a lot of six to threes. And so you have this new justice, Katanji Brown-Jackson, on there. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the ultimate outcome of a lot of these cases doesn't appear to be all that dramatic uh, as, to, as to what's going to happen. And, you know, maybe the, the, the court started off uh, last week, you know, with, with a, a fairly significant case with a, a voting rights case. And, and this, this, could, this could truly, like, redefine, you know, how, you know, representation uh, in, in Congress and, and how people vote. Let's just talk a little bit about that, because that was the, you know, kind of the banger that started it all off, like, real quickly. Right. This is a this is basically a case about the Voting Rights Act, which, uh, you know, for the last decade uh, since 2013, the Supreme Court has sort of hacked at um, the some of the big pr- uh, provisions and how it's applied um, to make it, uh, you know, harder to challenge laws that are put in place that states put in place for elections uh, and make it um, harder to stop them before they're implemented. And uh, this one is going to, this one focuses more on congressional redistricting and the use of race in drawing maps. Uh, And it's a case out of Alabama. Um, There are seven districts that they're trying to carve up. Uh, There's only, the the state put forward a map that that had only one majority black district in a state where more than a quarter of the state is black. So um, a three panel judge a three-judge panel, excuse me, uh, of, uh, of district court judges heard this case and said, that's not right. That is vote dilution under the, the Voting Rights Act, which is supposed to protect minority voters. And you need to draw another map where there are two majority black districts. And um, the state has challenged that all the way to the Supreme Court. Uh, the uh, Supreme Court already sort of indicated that they're not going to, uh, they, they allowed uh, Alabama's map to uh, be in place for this midterm election in November. Uh, so there's all the there's an election that's going to take place under a, a map that uh, a panel has already said it violates the law. Uh, but uh, what's going to happen here at the Supreme Court is they're going to decide whether um, you know the Constitution is so-called you know colorblind and that you're not supposed to take into account. Uh, race when you're drawing maps, only, you know, political parties or, um, you know, how, how small or compact the districts are and all these other principles of redistricting. But you're not, you know, Alabama's arguing the Constitution says we should not take into effect, into account race. Um, whereas the challengers are saying that's the whole point of the Voting Rights Act, and particularly, um, you know, what Congress passed in, in one of its later updates of the act and that, um, you know, it's meant to protect race, you know, minority voters. And you have to consider where minority voters are living in order to 
to make the uh, the law have any effect. Yeah, and, and it seems you know rather explicit in in how the Voting Rights Act was uh, was was written. But again, it returns to this constitutional question that again. I think uh, proponents of the Voting Rights Act would say, like, it, you know, after 50 plus years, is this not settled law? And what we learned with Roe versus Wade is that, no, it's not. Uh, <laughs> that, that, that the, you know, th- this court in particular is more than happy to pick up decisions or cases that they think, uh, you know, are wrongly decided, even if it's like considered it's settled. And as you mentioned also, just at the top of the podcast, I mean, this, this started in 2013. Uh, under you know a, a slightly less conservative court, uh, when when they you know they started you know like sort of pick, picking apart uh, the Voting Rights Act and, and saying like oh you don't need to uh, in some cases you don't need pre clearance you know for you know the, which was written into the Voting Rights Act the whole point of it was to protect people from states you know discriminating against minorities specifically in the South, uh, but in, in other states like my home state of Arizona, which had a history of discrimination against Hispanic voters. So it's basically the, the upshot is that this, this is not just about abortion, you know, that this is every precedent that you could imagine uh, might be up for <laughs> review depending on on what where the court wants to go. Right. And and um, that, the arguments on, on that uh, case were interesting because it's uh, some of Katanji Brown Jackson's first oral arguments and she was um, very talkative and uh, you know maybe one of the most talkative justices on first on the bench um, which underscores this point where we don't know exactly how that's going to play out because every there's sort of this idea that every time a new justice joins the court, it's a new court. There, there are so many things that happen behind the scenes and negotiations and, and uh, you know, interpersonal relationships, um, new ideas being uh, brought in and that it all mixes everything up. Um, she, she had, uh, she, she made a pretty, pretty powerful um, argument that took a lot of words um, about the 14th amendment and how the entire po- point of it was, uh, was based on race. So, um, if, if the entire point of, of it was based on race, then how can we say it's colorblind kind of thing? Uh, but in the past, um, some of the, some of the justices have said the constitution is colorblind. It should not be, uh, you know, race, racial preference policies should not be read into the constitution. And, um, so you have that tension set up there and, and the, the three liberals, on the the liberal wing of the court would have to get two justices, um, conservative justices, and it, it's hard to imagine that happening. Um, but it it is one of those things where this is it's a new day on the court, but the court does have a trajectory that seems to be more more powerful, just sort of momentum to the right. There's another case that they heard uh, last week th- that would concern you know basically environmental regulations, Clean Water Act, e- EPA. I mean th- this again, this is one of those like things that. You know, people's eyes tend to glaze over a little bit when you talk about environmental regulations of the Clean Water Act, unless, of course, uh, you know, you're, there's brown water coming through your tap, and then everybody cares about it. Uh, just real quickly, you know, this this again doesn't have the same sort of visceral uh, reaction from a lot of folks that say abortion or voting rights has, but like, let, let, what's what's at stake with that case uh, that that they heard? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, this is uh, essentially, uh, uh, it centers on this longstanding argument over the definition of waters of the United States. Um, and that's basically which bodies of water are subject to federal oversight. And um, it's on this property that has been in contest for a long time. But the, the basic gist of it is, where does, um, where does the federal regulatory power begin and end in water when water is flowing from one place across a property to another? If there's a road in the way, does that stop the federal um, jurisdiction over the water? If the groundwater goes you know, 2000 feet underground to some, some other place where does that, uh, how does that affect federal regulation? And, um, I think what, what most people are thinking about this in terms of the court is that last, last term, they, they curtailed the power of the government or the ease of the government to be able to regulate, um, the, the air and air pollution. And, um, this could be another one where they sort of curtail the government's ability to regulate water, um, and, uh, you know, the, it's a very complicated area in terms of, uh, all of the, 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 the past litigation, litigation and, and decisions and, and what constitutes water and what doesn't. But, um, yet again, I think most people are looking at this sort of as a trend, um, for curbing federal regulatory power. And, and led to one of my favorite slugs uh, from from among our editors and, and writers uh, in the content management system at CQ Roll Call. It was called WOTUS SCOTUS for Waters of the United States, Supreme Court of the United States. I mean, we, we all need more alliteration in our lives, particularly in heady matters such as this. Now, it, it's it, it's interesting, again, you know, the, the, you look back and, you know, the, the some of the clean water regulations that have defined American life, you know, all – Come from this same era that that we're that we're tracing a lot of this case law to, um, you know, the 1960s and 1970s, Clean Air Act, Clean Water Act, Roe versus Wade uh, court decision, Voting Rights Act. It's all you know, sort of in there in a, in a, in a roughly 10 year period of time. It seems, um, you know, in in the 60s and 70s, and and again, was what's striking to me too is that there was bipartisan agreement on this stuff 50 years ago that is not there any longer. Yeah, and the upshot for the upshot for Congress is um, is this something that they're going to have to spell out more in in legislation if they pass in the future? But then um, the question is, you know, do you really foresee some environmental legislation uh, of the scope that, of these that were passed um, coming out of Congress? And if it does, you know, the more detail Congress has to put in that they don't leave up to regulators, it, the um, you know, the harder it is to, to write and pass. And um, that, that also goes back to the voting rights stuff. I mean, the Democrats have been trying to update the Voting Rights Act ever since 2013, and they haven't been able to get Republicans on board. And so it's been a decade of, of stale, you know, partisan stalemate on that issue. Um, and so Congress is not really doing anything, even though in the 2013 case, uh, basically, the court said con- Congress needs to fix this thing that they, uh, this formula that they put in the Voting Rights Act, and uh, that hasn't happened. So th- it's a little bit about um, congressional paralysis and and um, how the court is becoming more important in shaping some of the way the government acts on these old um, these old laws. And 
this isn't so much a congressional angle. The the case that uh, that we heard uh, this week. This is a short week, being uh, you know the M- Monday was a federal holiday, but uh, the court heard heard a, a case that pitted. It's it's actually hard to keep track of exactly who is uh, you know coming from what side. Uh, but the uh, California passed a ballot measure a couple of years ago uh, that said that any pork that's uh, sold for consumption in California has to adhere to these guidelines. You know, the, the you know pigs need to have like room to to root. You know, they can't come from confined pens and so forth. Pork producers sued the state of California. The Humane Society sided with California. The federal government, under the Biden administration, has sided with the pork producers and. Uh, on Tuesday, the, the se- second week of the court's uh, term, they spent more time talking about this, uh, you know, and particularly like whether the Commerce Clause comes into effect and whether a, one state, if it's big, can just dictate policy to the other states through this kind of stuff. They spent more time talking about this than they did <laughs> in arguments on the Dobbs case that overturned the uh, Roe versus Wade. Um, I mean, without getting into the particulars of, uh, you know, cuts of meat and 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 so forth and where they're produced and sold and uh, why is this case significant and and why are we why are they spending their time on it? Well, um, it's significant because it affects commerce uh, across the country. Um, the you know, the, the the pork producers are are saying uh, California is dictating how they operate business in Iowa, and uh, because it because they're ultimately unsure where their where their uh, hogs will go uh, eventually be sold, and so they they it, it, California market is you know a big market, influential market, and and the the argument um, that that is sort of intriguing here is is you know we've all seen. You know, even on the abortion issue, the the um, and on other things, uh, the states sort of go out and and do these big uh, political statement type of laws. Like, um, uh, you know, we're we're going to pass a law in Florida where teachers can't teach certain things or whatever. You know, and they're and they're laws, but they're also sort of political statements. And and here you have uh, California did this for health reasons and moral reasons and a number of reasons, right? They they wanted uh, ethical uh, pork, but the, one of the things that came up at the argument was, well, what about if if Texas decided, um, well, we're not going to uh, allow any pork to be sold in Texas if uh, unless it was all farmed and carved up, uh, butchered by American citizens, not not illegal immigrants, and uh, then, you know, then, uh, what if New York says, well, we're, we're gonna do pork, but only if it doesn't use these certain pesticides in the wood that's around the, the, you know, the pig or whatever. I mean, like they just started saying, well, what is the limits of where states can determine what happens in their borders, but then, uh, it affects other places. And, and for example, California could just outright ban pork from being brought into the state. And, and that would not be a problem, but it's when uh, they do something that, that, uh, that, uh, you know, affects the rights of business owners in other States that, that where this comes down. And, and um, it's, it's a, it's, I think they spent a lot of time on it because it is more unfamiliar, honestly. I mean, the the Roe v. Wade stuff was so high profile; everybody knew 
all the details and they had thought up through a lot of these things already. With the, this, this kind of issue, it's really uh, the implications are big uh, in terms of what could happen to the, to the national food market and, um, and other regulatory issues when states start dictating what happens in other places. So uh, I, I do not know where that case is going. Um, it was, uh, it's, kind of, it's kind of one of those that cuts across ideology, not, not necessarily a long ideology. Yeah, I, I was struck too. I mean, you have like Elena Kagan, you know, who was appointed by Barack Obama to the court, uh, asking, you know, this this question that you hinted at: Do we really want Texas at war with California and California at war with Texas over these things? And then, you know, you had uh, John Roberts sort of musing about: Do we really need higher priced pork in a time when food prices are rising? And and I I was just sort of struck when I when I'm reading about this like thing like this is this is a lot for nine people to decide <laughs> is the, the price of pork. <laughs> you know, like we, we used to have this like cliche, like what does that have to do with the price of tea in China? I mean, this might be replaced by what does that have to do with the price of pork in California? Yeah. And that came up, you know, that came up during the arguments and it, it uh, uh, justice Neil Gorsuch said this. I mean, basically what is, what business is it of the court to decide what States want to do with their, you know, if they, if, if a state says we only want to, uh, you know, import firewood that's been treated with a certain pesticide so that it doesn't bring an invasive species into our state. What, you know, what, what business is it of the Supreme Court to decide whether that's okay or not? And, um, you know, unfortunately, when um, in a lot of this stuff uh, that gets challenged, somebody wins and somebody loses, and that's what the courts are there for. But uh, this is pretty weighty and uh, determinative of, of a lot of things. And so, you know, what is the, why would the court start getting involved in that sort of state politics stuff? So that's what we know, you know, just in the short week and a half, you know, the, the court's been uh, convened for this term. What are some of the other big uh, cases that we're going to be following, you know, here at, at CQ Roll Call that, uh, that your team in particular, that you have to supervise, Todd? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, well, there's the affirmative action case. It's um, it's a uh, two cases about the use of race in admissions decisions, one from Harvard University and one from the University of North Carolina. Uh, and the Supreme Court has repeatedly affirmed the, the use of race as one factor in sort of a holistic approach to selecting incoming freshmen. But just the fact that they took these cases is an indication that they're reopening the door on this issue yet again. Um, and that's going to be later this month. It's actually October 31st is the um, arguments. Happy um, Halloween. Yeah. Um, there's a, a case um, they're going to be revisiting, uh, you know, sort of LGBT discrimination laws versus religious freedom. Um, in a, a, a another case out of Colorado that you might remember, there was a Colorado bake baker who didn't want to bake a uh, cake for a same-sex marriage. And that case uh, happened, but it didn't really conclude anything. Uh, it sort of found an off-ramp um, for that particular case. And this time it's uh, a website design company owner who says that Colorado's anti-discrimination law um, requires her to, violates her rights because it requires her to design websites for same-sex couples' weddings. Um, and so we don't know what's going to happen there. And then there's another case about immigration enforcement, um, that I think is kind of sneaky out there, uh, which is whether the Biden administration can use nationwide guidance to prioritize immigration enforcement decisions. They put out this guidance to, 
to agents to say this is what you should prioritize. It was you know most re- the most recent crossers of the border and also those that are considered dangerous. Um, and then a lower court said, no, you can't do that. And, and so now there's not necessarily any particular guidance that agents across the country are using. And that, um, you know, that's going to be an interesting case to watch out for, um, you know, executive power in uh, immigration decisions. Uh, then they t- they took two more. I'm just going to mention they took one more. I'll mention one more. They took one case. Go about two. Section- Go for two. <laughs> yeah, now I'm going to do one. Two. Uh, section 230, which is the very controversial section of internet law um, that has given immunity to big companies and is a hot topic on on, on Capitol Hill in terms of what um, Congress might be able to do to. Um, to rein them in. And uh, this now is going to, um, uh, you know, the Supreme Court's going to weigh in a little bit first to see, you know, maybe that'll prompt some action on the Hill. Well, and and I, I also, you know, I, I mean, I hesitate to, you know, to 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 bring this up because we never know. It's it's, it's always such a wild card. Uh, but there's always, you know, the, the possibility too that they may take up not formally, but just like take it up on a, on, on a sort of a emergency appeal or whatever, something related to Donald Trump. Oh yes. <laughs> I mean, yes. He, he has, he has asked them to intervene uh, in this, uh, in, in the, the, the standoff with the justice department that he's having over documents that he was keeping government documents that he was keeping at his Mar-a-Lago estate in Florida, as much as justices may want this to go away <laughs> they they may they may uh, need to or they may feel that they have to at least ad- address it so that case it seems like that case or other cases regarding trump are always uh, on the horizon for them um and it's just it's just it, it's just going to be there for a while right <laughs> that is true and th- this particular appeal is is just, just in this weird procedural posture it's a weird case because of how the district court ruled but it, it probably is an easier decision for the Supreme Court because the 11th Circuit's decision was really um, clear and quite a smackdown of the district court's ruling. And it allowed the government to use um, the, some of the records that they found from the Mar-a-Lago search in their continu- ongoing criminal investigation, just the ones that were marked as classified and so you have um, this sort of situation where the government isn't, they don't really need to step in to help the government use these documents, which they historically have you know, been able to use documents that they possess. Uh, and, That's and how law enforcement works, apparently. Yeah, well, they possess That's them via a, a search warrant process. They followed a legal process and obtained documents, and then they should be able to use them generally. And so this... So the, the government isn't re, is is got the thing that they need the most, um, and then the uh, the Eleventh Circuit smacked down the rest of it, and then there, there's the special master process that the the district court ruled um, would go forward, and that is gonna is on a pretty speedy basis. So there's really not a lot of reasons for the Supreme Court to step in there, um, but there's there's the, always that, and there's always um, you know some of some of the other people around Trump are um, uh, being investigated in their spring searches. And uh, you never know when one of those cases will pop up and, and, and land in the justice's lap. So <laughs> we'll perhaps the three justices that Trump appointed uh, 
uh, Gorsuch, Barrett, and Kavanaugh thought thought that they were done uh, with with the former president uh, who who appointed them, but it's uh, it just it never seems to go away. Yes, and and you know one of the interesting things about this term is that they are uh, the Supreme Court is starting it um, where for the first time since 1987, more people had an unfavorable opinion of the Supreme Court than a favorable one. So they they and they are very aware of that. Um, several of the justices have made public statements around that issue. Uh, Elena Kagan, um, you know, basically said it it just doesn't seem like. Uh, law if it can depend on who's on the court not not the law it just then it just seems like personal preference and uh chief justice john roberts basically said just because people disagree with our opinion doesn't mean our court's not legitimate and alito went out there and said something to back up uh chief chief justice so it's um they're really aware they're under the microscope this term and uh and so it'll be an interesting (laughs) it'd be an interesting uh term that ends at the end of june well, Todd, thanks for uh, walking us through this, and uh, we will return to this as you, uh, you and your team uh, pick up on some of the more significant uh, cases and, and guideposts. But thank you so much for getting us started uh, at, at this stage of, of uh, early October. I guess it's not really the second Monday because Monday we had off, and it's not really Tuesday even. It's it's just one of it's just a it's just a regular day in October. <laughs> Well, we're just in the middle of a term, but you're, you're welcome. Thanks for having me here. All right. And thank you for listening out there. Uh, if you like this podcast, please rate us on iTunes, uh, subscribe to us, subscribe to our newsletter, and keep coming back and reading Todd's team stories and, and everything else that we're writing about the Supreme Court. Thanks again. Thanks again.